No, they know you never talk about your money. Right, so at Liverpool in the 80s, you would no idea. No, no. Well, we, the only idea was that Kenny was on far more than he was. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy. People of Galway, we love you! I don't want to leave the people of Warford down, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Warford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love my county, you know. We love Jambalan! It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and hurl and yeah. just let themselves express themselves. They're, it's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling. You are very welcome along to episode 16 of the Hurling Pod. Limerick have matched their team of the 1930s by landing a fourth consecutive Munster Hurling title. But Clare have been level after 70 minutes on three different occasions this year with the All-Ireland Champions. And there's a feeling that potentially we could have a championship trilogy next month for the Liam McCarthy on the line. A familiar tale in the Leinster final at Croke Park. TJ Reid, the top scorer in a Leinster decider, as Kilkenny win three in a row. His 12 points helping the Cats to overcome Galway to land what's an 18th provincial crown for them of the Cody era but again the focus post game was the handshake between Cody and Henry Shefflin Antrim second Joe McDonough Cup success in three seasons well that sent the Saffrons back up to the Leinster Championship for 2023 disappointment again for Kerry three years in a row that they've lost out in that final but what a final it was to look back on what was a silverware handing out weekend I'm joined by four-time All-Ireland winner with Kilkenny Paul Murphy and go is 2017 All-Ireland winning netminder James Skell lads how are you getting on? Great well Hi Will how are you all? There's only one place to start here, really, isn't it? It's not the handshake this time round, thankfully. I was worried Saturday night when I got home. I was like, are we going to have to talk about this as the top story on the hurling pod? And then we had a game for the ages, Skell, on Sunday. Limerick just about coming out against Clare, 128-27, to after extra time, in testing conditions in the rain in Semple Stadium. The two neighbours putting on a hell of a show, level on 15 different occasions, and eventually, maybe Limerick had that little bit more, particularly in the first half of extra time to get over the line. But what a monster final it was. Yeah, I, and I think, I, I don't think anyone would argue with me if I said it was probably one of the greatest monster finals of all time. And we're, we're chit-chatting there before the, the we came on the pod. And like, I, I can't think there's maybe one that might even come close to it as the 04 monster final with Waterford and, uh, and Cork. But like, this had, this had everything, bare goals. You know, and, and I suppose instance of red cards, this had everything. Like it was just an electric, electric game. The crowd were brilliant. Like I, I wasn't at the game, but you, you could feel it through the television. And then for the way it finished off in a normal time with Tony Kelly, I was roaring the television from not not to go for it. You know, this is me. Like, it's too chancy. How could he go for it? Like, and then he does that, and then and and, and he, he did it while some clown threw a bottle, yeah. you know, down within his vicinity. Like so, to to kind of enact that skill. From that angle, under such pressure, with with the game on the line, it was just incredible, incredible, incredible. And that's the only word I can use with the game because that's what it was. Um, some shooting from from both sets of forwards, like you think of Seamus Flanagan, who had probably by his own admission probably an up and down, you know, year so far, and then he shoots, he shoots where he shoots, like just finds himself in great positions, opens up great channels for the rest of the forwards around him. And uh, look, credit to both teams; they're the two best teams in the country. Um, I don't think anyone deserved that, but Limerick just did enough. Um, their conditioning was, is, I think, is impe- impeccable. 
if I was to say anything about clear, maybe they lost a small bit of steam towards the end of extra time. And that's where just kind of Limerick just opened it up a small bit. Um, but look, nothing separated them. It's obvious. That's what the draw is. I think that's the, th- is that the third time to draw this year. Yeah, they're level at 70 minutes on all three occasions. Yeah, League, so, Louis the low scoring game. They drew in the round robin and effectively drew again yesterday. So, like, Clare can be extreme. I know it's, it's, it's little consolation to this morning out, but they can be extremely proud and they can be very motivated for, for what's to come down the line. They have a. Look, they've a, they a run to get to meet Limerick again now. They're going to have to go through some tough teams, but like they're well capable. So, no credit to both teams. Paul, before we kind of dig into the game itself, is it a fair statement to make based on the evidence of what we saw last weekend, where we saw you know all four of the provincial finalists in action, that it now feels like Clare are reasonably close to Limerick, but possibly the rest of the chase and pack are a bit away from these two teams based on the evidence of the Munster final? Yeah, that's probably fair to say after this weekend anyway, certainly after the Leinster final, um, you know, much flatter affair compared to the Munster final. But I think there's an element here of Clare... Any team going out playing Limerick, you know you know you have to throw a huge amount at them. And Clare brought an element of just chaos to the game because they knew it had to completely break up Limerick's plan. They knew they had to throw everything at them. Whereas you look at Leinster final and it was far more tactical and far more cagey. And that's the way both teams approached it. But it, it is fair to say you have to give Clare the credit. Like Clare do look like the closest team now out of nowhere, out of the last few months to suddenly come and, and potentially take on Limerick. And very fine margins here. You know, extra time just took the sting out of it for Clare. You know, when you look at extra time compared to any minute really in normal time, it was a it was a real it was a completely different game nearly because of the intensity. There was a bit more space in it. I mean, players were after putting their bodies on the line for 70 minutes in, in really tough conditions. We saw Shane O'Donnell, Tony Kelly, Peter Duggan, these lads, you know, you just couldn't hold out any longer. And that's the thing going against this Limerick team is sustaining not just the 70 minutes, but if it if it goes into extra time, you have to try and sustain that. So the closest team, yeah, incredibly now is, is, is Clare do look like it. But I'd still fancy, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd still love to see the likes of Kilkenny or the likes of Galway or whoever have a crack at them because no doubt either of those teams or Wexford or whoever would feel that, you know, or Cork, that they'd have to throw the same thing that Clare did at Limerick. It's the only way you may potentially top a Limerick is throw everything at them. But um, at the moment, you know, you'd be relishing seeing potentially Clare and Limerick at some stage again in all Ireland final it'd be just it'd be an incredible match yeah because James can you look at particularly now, I think the energy that Clare put in eventually like with some of those players who had to come off and you don't want to have probably your three best players in the case of um, the three that, that have just been mentioned uh, there by Murph where you don't have Tony Kelly O'Donnell and Duggan available when the game is in the melting pot in extra time but they absolutely ran their legs off throughout the match but that first 25-30 minutes particularly I think especially up until the moment that Hegarty scored the goal and maybe things kind of ratcheted up a bit after that for Limerick the intensity that Clare put in to stop Limerick hurling in the first 25-30 minutes was absolutely incredible yeah, and I think intensity is one thing. Yeah, like it's easy look at a team and say, right, they're they're operating fierce, intense, but they're they're disciplined in the tackle and the way they apply the intensity in the right manner. Like, and you contrast what Galway did against Kilkenny, intensity in the wrong manner, and their tackling tackling was horrendous, uh, which we we'll touch on later. But their their tackle was it was exceptional. Um, their energy all around the pitch from all the uplicks, from even the pace Quilligan was getting the hook out going, and what he was doing was it was excellent. So all up the pitch, they were they were ex they were they were. Brilliant, and I don't think Limerick have met that kind of, I suppose, ferocity in the last couple of years. I don't think I, I, I'm struggling to remember a team who was thrown that much at them, you know, for a sustained period. Obviously, there's 
there'll be a couple of minutes every game where a team gets a proper patch against Limerick but for Clare to actually sustain it for the whole course of the game I can't remember anyone doing that to Limerick in, in recent memory and look it just shows it's a great sign of a great team when you're able to actually take all that pressure keep you know, I'll take it on board obviously they, were, they went behind a couple of times but then throw everything back at them again like, and then win, win, the, win the match so again we said about the, the game in Ennis the last time did both teams stock go up yes and after yesterday, the both teams stock go up again. Yes, so like they're they're all they're both on the rise and, and they're on the same trajectory, I think. Um, but they're still you always got the feeling then an extra time that just the energy was dropping from Clare. And I don't think it's an S and C thing. I just think it was a bit of clientele. Like the, the lads they had to bring on, you know, weren't going to be as effective as the lads that they had to bring off. You know, so like you, and the, the, who do you want? Only the guy Tony Kelly to be there. But again, what more can the man do? Like he ran. I, I'd love to see his running chart. What, what he covered in the game because. I saw him getting the ball in his own 21 and in the opposition 21 and, and he was uh, he was applying himself you know for the whole course of 70-80 minutes like, so he's just exceptional I know I keep going back to Tony Kelly but like mm. I, you'd nearly be kind of half privileged to watch this you know like that sideline I just I can't stress how difficult like as this is how difficult that is to do but under, in that situation like it's amazing and like two teams just to go ahead the way they did I, I, I feel like a giddy child here talking about them you know <laughs> I want them to play again next week you <laughs> know but like Murphy, you can't help but be excited by Tony Kelly. Like I was joking about it yesterday. He was almost like a sixteen-year-old who dropped back to under twelve. Such was his dominance on the <laughs> yeah, game yeah. within the first half. And like there were moments there where you could see Limerick's frustration with the fact that he popped up in moments. Like there was one. I think it was uh, Dimmer Burns went to roll lift to free and had to actually pull on it because the ball didn't come up properly in the wet. Mm-hmm. He pulled on it, and you're thinking the last thing you want to do here is hit Tony Kelly. You've got all this space in front of you. Don't hit it to Tony. And somehow Tony managed to position himself just in place to pick the ball up before the Limerick defenders who were trying to get to it and Tony Kelly just pops it over from a stupid angle he put over you know percentage shots that are way down that you should never take on but Tony Kelly is that confidence in his own ability to do it that's so hard to defend against and like Limerick almost kind of uh, they relied on their system to try and stop Clare's attackers I think for the best part it worked like they actually managed to tie up quite a few of those Clare forwards during the game but it was so hard to stop Tony Kelly because he just relishes that chaos that Skehl has just mentioned. He does, yeah. And it's, it's, it's amazing considering how much he's targeted as a player going out. No more than your TJ Reeds or your Garoad Hegarty's or whoever. Like every team that's going to play a player will go, we have to do a job in Tony Kelly. But he still pops up and he still finds the space. And how he finds the space, I don't know. Like he got a, he got a point in the first half yesterday where... Uh, Davy Fitzgerald got the ball down the right wing and struck it to him. And now there was three Limerick players in and around that area. They were kind of going zonal. But whoever was marking him at the time, he just managed to lose him. And whoever was marking him only had one job probably, is follow Tony Kelly, stick with him here now. Found a space. And once he found a space, even with the Limerick lads closed and popped it over the bar. And the free, or the one that you were talking about there, obviously when Jeremy Burns pulled on it going out. The other thing was, was like if Jeremy Burns just pulled on that and went out over the sideline, Tony Kelly was still probably going to put it over from there anyway. So it's a lose-lose situation. But I'd agree with you. The one thing I was thinking when he scored that point was a lot of other players will actually miss that. Like that's a shot that when we talk about here week on week of players taking shots from angles that isn't a high percentage chance that you're going to score. Running away from goal, man on your back, you're striking back towards the goal. But every time he gets it, you kind of think, yeah, he is going to score this. He just has this belief. And like you said, he plays with this just freedom of, as if he's a young fella playing in the pitch under 16, knows he's better than nearly every other player and can just, can just do his own thing. But what I found remarkable about the, about the sideline, like obviously enough, the angle was incredible. I did notice as well, yeah, someone threw a bottle or something at him. But the angle from the sideline where he's looking at the goal, like even the big screen is up in the background and it's zoomed in on him. Like I'm sure that was nearly between the goalposts for him that he was even, 
you know, if, if he needed any more reminding of what he was about to do or what he's attempt to do, the big screen was showing him up right up behind the call that he's about to line up in a Munster final as sideline to put to, to, to draw a match for Clare. There was just there were so many things about it about the game and it's not to it's not to zone in totally on Tony Kelly, you know, we can Gerard Hegarty's goal, incredible. Barry Nash I thought was absolutely brilliant and he's been brilliant all year and probably doesn't get the mention too often compared to other lads like Sean Finn is incredible in the other corner, probably gets a bit more attention. I thought Barry Nash was absolutely immense yesterday. Um and there was just so many performances and you nearly feel like it's a pity sometimes because Tony Kelly was so incredible that there were so many other great performances that were going on around him also. But that was what was so great about this match though is anywhere the ball seemed to land, there was just brilliant performances being put in around the pitch and you, you couldn't say enough for each player that played a part there yesterday. You couldn't say enough for them. Yeah, Pascal, the one thing I couldn't believe at one point, one or two people had put up on social media that Kelly was bottling some easy freeze. And I'm there thinking... Right, way you go back now and have a quick look at that sideline cut, which he puts over from the left-hand side at an almost impossible angle. Awesome. That's a guy who has all the bottle in the world who will do that for his team. Because the percentage play there would be, you just play it back into space, Claire try and work one more attack, and you try and get into a decent shooting position. Yeah. But he knew, he misses, chances are Limerick are able to keep possession off their own puck out, and maybe you've lost the game. And we're, and we're not talking about Tony Kelly's sideline cut then. We're talking about Declan Hannon's shot from his own half to win the game for Limerick. Yeah. Well, the cojones are there for Kelly to go and actually take that on. And like, I think it's no bad thing if the freeze aren't happening. Duggan took the freeze pretty well when they switched around anyway. Yeah, yeah. I like First of all, to, to address that comment, Tony Kelly bottled. Tony Kelly doesn't bottle anything, right? Uh, like that's, that's shit talk, as they call it. Mm. Like, he, uh, cojones is the word you use there. It's, it's fantastic. Like Murph mentioned, that it was a greasy pitch, a wet ball. So the, the freeze he was taking, the difficulty to keep the ball straight. You know, you know what it's like, Murph. It's like, just mm. when the ball gets really, gets wet and gets greasy, it's it's a job in itself to keep it straight when it's in your hand and mind taking it for free. So there's mm. no such thing as bottling Tony Kelly. Like he, like he's, I, I'm going to say, like he single-handedly, you can nearly say, dragged clear to the to extra time if you like you know that's the influence he has over the game and he's just he was immense like you know and I, I actually struggled to, to understand who from Limerick was marking him <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know like who was marking him because like he he was in so many uh, positions all over the pitch and that's the that's kind of the exertion he put himself through like he's just brilliant like look at like, we could stay here talking about him all day like but again I have to just bring it back to to, uh, to what Limerick did like Limerick just grounded out and like they're absolutely exceptional and like I, they are I won't say on a par to say but what they've achieved like in three All-Irelands four Munster titles and probably a league or two for this, this group of players like since 2018 that's that's an exceptional record so that, that's that's rivaling what, what G did more back in the early 2000s like with Kinney so where the team can go to like the sky's the limit for them like I, I'd say in that dressing room obviously they're taking every day as it comes you know, that'll be the phrase they're using but they're probably looking going we can get five, six, seven Irelands here Mm. No, it's unbelievable. Like I, again, I hate to make these direct comparisons between uh, that Kilkenny team of the Naughties and this Limerick team, but never be it happens because of the dominance the two teams yeah. had. Like I think it was fifteen was the record that Kilkenny went on in the mid two thousands. They won fifteen Leinster games in a row. Limerick are now unbeaten in fourteen in Munster, taking the draw into account that they had. Or sorry, fourteen championship matches now. If you take the All Ireland series into account as well, the draw against Clare. Like it just goes to show this Limerick team are getting into that level now where they're running off that many games yeah. that they've been unbeaten. It's a crazy, crazy record that they hold and they've shown now they can do it on a round robin year. They can do it in a non round robin year, bring the round robin back, they'll still win Munster and now they're directly into a semi final. I was just thinking, Murph, as well about Seamus Flanagan, because like we talk obviously about Kelly because he's all action and all the excitement and thirteen points in all seven from play. But eight points from Seamus Flanagan. I had a quick look back at the 
couple of games that they played so far this year. And Flanagan didn't exactly light it up against Clare in either of those games. But by golly, he lit it up yesterday. Yeah, and I don't think anybody saw it coming really. Like Seamus Flanagan on his day is an absolutely incredible player. Like when they went to win the All Ireland, um, the first time, it, like he was he was a fulcrum there at at full forward. He's really important. Maybe kind of struggled on and off for a little bit of form there. I suppose in this season more so. Obviously the red card didn't help him earlier in the year. Was found himself on the bench for a little bit then again. But you know I think all those things have probably put it into perspective for Seamus Flanagan like that. There's other players to step in here. You know you make a silly decision or you don't form on the day because this panel is so good you know potentially you won't get your place but to come in and, and, and give eight points from play yesterday was absolutely an incredible shift in any game for any player to have eight points from play is a huge shift particularly again how close that match was yesterday how physical it was the very little space they had he just managed to find the space he managed to find just a little bit of time, a second for himself to look up and get a score. He was always off the shoulder supporting other players. And it was a huge shift. And, you know, in fairness to him, he, he deserves it. He deserves the credit because he probably got a fair rap now off, off the critics over the last while that maybe wasn't performing. Maybe, you know, question marks over, you know, would the red miss ascend? Would he get sent off and different things? Um, particularly against this clear full back line who, you know, are fairly physical and like to mix it up off the ball as well. But... No, in fairness to Shams, like without those eight points, where were Limerick yesterday? In fairness, I know I know they would have had more players to come in, might have chipped in with three or four from play, and is what you're kind of expecting from any of the forwards. Three or four from play is an excellent shift, but eight is an absolutely enormous shift to put in. Um, and without him, you'd wonder that might have been the difference yesterday of maybe Clare just eking it out in normal time. But uh, incredible performance from him, and if he keeps this form, you know there's no fullback in the country will will keep him scoreless coming down the All-Ireland semi-final or the All-Ireland final if he keeps this form and Scale when it comes to the red mist it brings us round to a bit of a conversation that happened on the Sunday game last night and they showed the instant where Hurley gets raked down the back of Flanagan at one point and there was a few instances along the way and you know Willow Donoghue gets a bit of a dig and didn't go down and dive and Limerick showed a lot of discipline I would say in those kind of little niggly instances that they were highlighting Yep. But it was interesting that you had Dowling and Cummins talking about Clare's indiscipline when the narrative throughout the year was about you know getting at Limerick and Limerick were the team who were possibly being the aggressors in these situations. Um, what did you make of that bit of a chat from last night? Um, I think firstly Limerick probably understands what, what, what team's going to try and do. They're going to look for an edge. So I was very, let's say, happy to see that I don't know who and Seamus didn't go down. They didn't like feign injury, didn't try to get card. So like credit as him like, like nine tenths of players in today's game like will go down and try you know get an advantage for the team so that's the first thing but um, the Duggan the Dug- look at there, there are two there are two instances that I think if the ref catches them in real time now Keenan had a very good game so that, I have to put that on record for, mm. for, first and foremost he had a very good game he can't see everything okay but if if he sees it in real time it probably is by the letter of the law a red for both you know Duggan's one was it a Again, I'm trying to justify his, his action here. I can't really justify it, to be honest. <laughs> like it's, he, he punched him, like he punched him, but he punched him in the stomach at the dig more so than an actual full-on belt. Like, but, but Hayes is one. There's no, I can't do anything there. Like I can't say anything for him because he chops right down top of Flanagan, like he hit him down at the back of the hurl. So that's that's a wrong action. You know what I mean? And like we've seen a couple of them over the course of the weekend, whereby you're questioning what are lads thinking? Like, what, what, when, like Rory's having a fantastic year, like, but if that's seen in real time. That's a red card, and there's no, and there's no defending it. I know, I know, the, the clear fates will, will probably say, "Ari, he was probably being held or whatever." But that's just not—you can't justify that kind of action. So, like, whatever Flanagan did, can't draw that reaction off Rory. 
uh, who's who's probably been one along with Brian Ash has been the premier cornerback in the country at the moment. But I th- I Limerick it was very noticeable when any kind of shamazel if you want to like to call it was about to start they were. They'd, they'd front up, let's say, for a shoulder or two, but then they were getting themselves out of there. Like Hegarty was and Hayes were getting themselves out of there, and uh, it was good to see from their perspective. So they, I think, they've adapted to, to understand this is what teams are going to try, and they've uh, they're overcoming it. Yeah, I suppose that's the thing, Murph. They're learning that maybe there's going to be a bit of targeting. There's that feeling, and there's a definitely that narrative has been out there since the league. That you know, if you get at Limerick, and maybe if you kind of pull and drag at them or try and get them to do something we've talked about the dark arts of defending before and uh, what could happen this goes to show Limerick have maybe learned from some of their mistakes earlier this year yeah well they had to, to be fair to them because you know they were kind of throwing away matches there at times with the red cards they were getting because when, when teams are throwing so much at you you need all 15 players on the pitch like that's that's just an obvious statement but like I, I huge respect like I've no vested interest in either team because look Clare and Limerick are going battling away I just want to see a great game whoever wins fair play um, but part of me is there looking at it going you know some of the incidents if this was Limerick would Limerick be you know would we be sitting here today saying how are Limerick still getting away with this I'm sure they'd have people breathing down their neck you know Twitter would be an uproar over the whole thing so it, the way I look at it is going like fair play to, to Willem O'Donoghue like he took a box in the stomach and he just stared at Peter Duggan and just got on with it and didn't look for him to be sent off you know I think Limerick's attitude is probably we're going to go out here on any given day we're not going to get any of the breaks like this is their mentality like as in their jobs you're saying we're not going to be giving anything here we're also not going to go out and seek it we're not going to be throwing ourselves on the ground we're just going to go down and we're going to win it fair and square and we're going to just man up and take it on the chin and whatever this seems to be our attitude and there has been a little bit of a shift as well in terms of they're not reacting which is very hard thing to do as well because it, it, like they, they are in for a bit harder treatment than, than any other team in the championship if I'm being honest they're the lads that are being maybe a little bit more targeted because teams are looking to get under their skin and they have to deal with that they look like they're dealing with it at the moment but I, I'd I've you know, I think I think they deserve great credit for how they carried themselves over the weekend. That there was obviously a bit of needle in the match, and there was a few incidents happened. They didn't react, nor did they look for lads to be sent off. Or they were shouting at the referee. They just got on with it. So it's 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 like I mean, it's another area where they deserve credit. They get credit in every angle, but it's another area that look. I, I hate when a team is getting unduly I suppose honed in on for how they carry themselves and oh they they play dirty, they play on the edge and all this. Um, I think Limerick deserve credit at the moment that they're just no one will be talking about them now this week saying they're filthy or whatever. Like they're they're not. They're they're a manly team. They played it really well, and I just think they deserve huge credit that that they didn't maybe make more out of those incidents over the weekend. And Paul, when it comes to the refereeing, you know, Scales already mentioned, and again, I won't disagree with him here. I think Keenan had a really good game on a difficult day because you're trying to make decisions at a time when guys are slipping on a wet pitch, when there's a lot of obviously bunching up and rooks and naturally players are going in to try and deny space. And it would have been easy to give a whole lot of more frees. And we could have had a free fest like there was in Crow Park on Saturday. But he allowed an awful lot to go, but in a very consistent way. He did, yeah. And I think that was recognised by the players as well that there wasn't there wasn't players turning around like okay every so often you see players asking what what story was it free and that's kind of more of a knee-jerk reaction but in general he let the game go like you said on a wet night that's a very hard thing to do because players are slipping into each other there's a lot of accidental collisions the intensity from when the ball was thrown in I mean it was very obvious that you know there was going to be hurls flying around there was going to be shoulders going in mistimed and different things no intent but you know it was going to be a hard one to call but if, if he kept blowing freeze, we wouldn't have had the spectacle that we did yesterday. And again, the unfortunate thing about referees is they don't get the credit often when the games go really well. Um, 
and he, I think, I think he had a brilliant game. And I think you know he can be very proud of himself that he contributed massively to to what we were served up because he let it go. He pulled it back when it needed to be pulled back. He used common sense and he just tried to keep you know keep the show on the road, not make it about him or anything. He was just going right, keep this match flowing, keep it flowing. And because of that, there was great physicality in the game, and we love seeing it. We love seeing the physicality. But he knew how to call it with common sense, which was brilliant and fair play to him. So look, I'm sure all the headlines will be about, like we said, Tony Kelly and Limerick are a great team and so on. Um, but Keenan deserves great credit there in, in his own right. And he, he probably won't get it as much, of course he won't, as, as the players. But um, without him, this could have been a different match, being honest. It could have been a different match. And I think he, he deserves huge credit for it. James, what about one of the moments of the game then? We're 27 minutes in. Clare feel like they're on top. They've gone out, I think it was their biggest lead at the time. They were three points up at the stage, seemed to be really on top of Limerick. Then, you know, a long enough ball comes down into Morrissey's hand and Hegarty just makes a break off the shoulder and finds the tiniest amount of space for the hand pass to be played to him. Looks like he's running into traffic. And then that beautiful scoop, a lot of people were saying it was a la kind of Gaza at Euro 96 with England and Scotland uh, with the way that he took the ball over the shoulder and still brought it down perfectly and then finished across goal. Remarkable skill from such a big physical man, particularly in Hegarty's case, to use minimum space and maximum skill to yeah. actually be able to get that shot away. Like just rewind and just look at the clip where Morrissey catches the ball. I actually think he catches the ball blind. I think his helmet gets, uh, the clips get unhooked and the helmet comes down over his eyes. He catches the ball with the helmet down over his eyes like Jesus. So and then turns and then that's the that's kind of the Limerick draw motto: go forward ball. Morrissey turns straight away and somehow fixes his helmet in real time and then passes to Hegarty, like, uh, who was, had one thing in his mind. But yeah, yeah, you look at those goals, right, and it's the finish, it's three points to the team, yeah, but the difficulty level in to do what Garage did uh, is actually hard to be quantified because, like, that, Murph, you, made, you, made, you touched on it a while ago, it's a millisecond, not even a microsecond, is what he has to actually make that decision to plan his route because obviously there's bodies all around him and for him to kind of plan it, execute it, and execute it per- perfectly, was just it's, it's amazing it's one of those goals that I think uh, one of those scores like I often think of Kieran Carey's point like for Limerick when he went down for midfield it was at 96 or, or you know uh, in the Munster Championship and this is kind of the, the Hegarty goal is one of those scores that'll be long in the memory like that was just exceptional but from an exceptional player and like the forward juniors as well in Limerick they scored 118 from play between them just for the forwards mm. that is ridiculous that's, that's, that's some return for a forward junior out, out of 6 and the two, two boys who came in out of 8 players like 118 Terribly hard to stop, but uh, look, they're just, they just keep producing the magic. Well, I would think, Murph, if you're declared defence there, if that had been your old Kilkenny defence shaping up and how he gets the ball, you're probably thinking you're in pretty good shape when he catches that hand pass because <laughs> you'd, be you'd be almost assuming that he's going to go north-south. He is going to go straight through and he's going to try and use his power. You probably wouldn't be expecting that moment of finesse to actually make the space. No, because he doesn't make it obvious that he's about to do it. And the scoop, I think, is important as well, because if he actually flicks that ball, there's a, a second that that ball is in the air where the clear defender can actually just look at it, judge it, and maybe just put the hurl up to spoil it a small bit. But the fact that he just scooped it over him, at no stage did the ball really leave the hurl till it was just over the clear defender's head. So the clear defender, like that, he still thinks he's probably going to go for goal, and then one step scoops it over his head, as opposed to a blatant flick of the ball over the head. Everything about it... If one of those things went slightly wrong, he wasn't getting the goal. Like he, if he misjudged anything there, he wasn't getting through on goal. So like you said, yeah, if you're a defender going in, the defenders actually made the right decisions, really. All bar, you know, withstanding pulling down a the fella. They, they tried to tackle, but 
Garrod Higgerty was just one step ahead of them in terms of knowing what they were going to do and creating a small bit of space for himself. But even going back to Tom Morrissey, when he caught the ball, this goes back to why it's so important in training and practicing with lads off the shoulder. Like you were saying, James, the helmet came down over his head and he turned because he knew where goal was going to be, like as in the goal was. And he turned and instinctively, kind of a little bit of a glance, but he popped it to where he knew a Limerick player would be running. I don't know whether Garrod Higgerty called it or not. I don't know whether Tom Morrissey could even hear it with the atmosphere. But through being in the pitch and in training, knowing that Limerick will always have a player off the shoulder, as soon as Tom Morrissey caught it, he turned for goal knowing there's probably a Limerick player off the shoulder here now and I could pop it. And that in itself is something that's, if you get that into a team, it's lethal because when a player wins primary possession, if you know that there's a player around you somewhere, before you even look that there's some player running off the shoulder and that a player has timed his run to make sure that they're there when you're turning to pop the pass, that's a huge thing to have in a team. And lots of teams try to do it and they don't get it right. So even that in itself just shows how, I suppose how well the whole Limerick engine is taking over. It's really going well. So, like, there's so many parts of it. For such a simple play, there's so many parts there that may appear simple and it's not. It was just, the whole thing there was a great, great goal. Yeah. Skell, when it comes to this Limerick defence, people probably have seen the picture the sports file had up at this stage where they look more akin to a South African team on the verge of a World Cup as opposed to a team coming out of a, a pitch and sample stadium after lifting the cup for the Munster final. Um, particularly Sean Finn, looks like the Hulk um, so like it's a very different body shape the cornerbacks and goalkeepers have right now even looking at Nicky Quaid in the corner of the picture but they were able to use that muscle and the bit of pace that they have to actually shut down Clare's other forwards reasonably well because like you look down the scoring after Tony Kelly who's got 13 you're then looking at 5 points in play from David Fitzgerald and as well as some of the other Clare forwards schemed at different times, like Shane O'Donnell didn't get the scores in play that he's been getting in recent games. Uh, Duggan was a bit more restricted than he's been in recent games too. In an overall sense, even if they didn't get a handle on Tony Kelly, I thought the Limerick defence did quite well on Clare in a general way. Yeah, they did. And like, Limerick defence, would would, I think I, we'd always talk about their forwards, units. they'd always get the plaudits, but their defence is usually always rock solid, you know, from, from, from one to seven and whoever comes in there and... Like I'm looking at Sean Finn in, in that in particular in that photograph, and he's built like a, a flanker in rugby, you know. So for him to be able to actually execute the way he he executes, you know, with, with pace, he, he never gets burned for pace ever, you know. So for a man to be able to carry that that weight, you know, that was just, he he's looking at him, he could be 90 kilos with through the size of him, like and he never gets burned. Like so, he's he's obviously a, a freak athlete, and then you got Barry Nash in the corner who who was kind of a, a hybrid. He was. In, Predominantly in the forwards, Hannon starting the forwards. Like it's just they've got a really good unit, and like it's it's very similar to what Paul is saying about the forwards. That's kind of systematic. That's just pure trust. That's just repetition. That's been in training day in day out. That's been on the road for four and five years. This group together. It's the same with the backs. They're they're all just like <laughs> telepathic at this stage. You know they just and they can all range different positions. Like I, I mentioned previously about Morris going out to wing back. Like an all-star fullback and out to wing back and just, just that adaptability. So and they can play, I think, across the six positions too. So predominantly you see always try they always try to keep Hannon in the centre. You know, always and always always forever. But I think the other guys the other guys can move left. Like Nash can go to wing back, he can find himself in any part of the pitch and you know the machine just keeps on ticking. Like so that's the great platform. And you'll always hear with with, with teams who win championships to say to say defence wins championships. Like so if you're not scoring like if you're not conceding big numbers, you always be in, you always be in the fight. Like and so Nicky again another clean sheet yesterday. Defence didn't get opened up at all. They subdued Shane O'Donnell. Like Peter Duggan didn't relatively had a very quiet game from play. You know they let Taylor do what he had to do out in the middle of the field. So, so there was no huge threat there. And uh, 
like they, they just they're awesome like I'm running out of words will to describe them you know what I mean I'm running out of words they just, I, I, I struggle to see who's going to who's going to stop them genuinely especially when I see what was produced on Saturday night the Leicester final I, I don't know and then you go into Crow Park a larger pitch again I, I know we're talking about the pitch sizes but like Crow Park has been a very very good hunting ground for Limerick the last time they were beaten there was was Kenny wasn't it so mm-hmm. like they're, they're unbeaten there for a while so it's going to be hard to see someone topping them yeah, no, it is. That's the million dollar question. Maybe the hope that neutrals have been given is that Clare have been so close in this year, Murph. But Clare's route to the final now, it, it doesn't open up too badly. They're on effectively what you could call almost the Leinster side of the drop because you're going to have, if Wexford come through in their game against Kerry, it'll be Wexford against Clare again in a quarter final. Clare can probably take some solace that they have had the better of Wexford in recent seasons. And then potentially they play Kilkenny, the Leinster champions in an All-Ireland semi-final. A lot of hurling to go, but Clare will feel that they've got every chance of beating those teams on that side of the draw. Yeah, of course they would. And uh, I don't see why they wouldn't feel that way. You know, going toe-to-toe with Limerick so many times now, there's no reason why they wouldn't feel that way. And I think, look, the way Clare look at this is they had a savage battle. They'd be disappointed that they lost the Munster final. But one more game, they're back into an All-Ireland semi-final. They're back exactly where they would have been if they wanted. So look, they're obviously disappointed with just losing the Munster final but in terms of looking at the Pats now they're not looking at it going God we're after this is, this is insurmountable we can't you know this is going to be unachievable they're really looking at it now going okay we need to go back at the go back at it here now um, you know go at potentially Wexford um, then Kilkenny if uh, they get over they go over Wexford and you know they'll, they'll, they'll look at Kilkenny over the last while and I'm sure they'll feel that they have what it takes to beat them. Not to say that they will, but it, they, they'll certainly feel it when it gets to Crow Park. Um, the only thing that I suppose clear now, like that was the attrition in that rate, uh, the attrition rate in that match yesterday was huge, like in terms of bodies and all these different things and recovery now. So the one extra match, you know, we talked about it last week, how for Kilkenny and Galway, um, more so that, you know, having a week, an extra week off or a week or two off here is, is really important now because they're after coming through such a, a tough round robin phase. The same for Clare at the moment. If Clare picked up any niggles or injuries over the match yesterday, you know, the one extra match, that's the only place that the hindrance really comes in. But I'm sure Clare will be looking forward now getting into a qualif- uh, quarter final and going, right, win this match, target an All Ireland semi final. We're in Crow Park. Clare performed well in Crow Park and potentially an All-Ireland final then after that. So I don't think the route now is, you know, is, is, is very grim or anything for Clare. I think they'll be very positive about the whole thing. Yeah, we can hear now from both the managers from yesterday from off the ball. Oshin Langan was speaking uh, to both Brian Lone and to John Kiley. We'll hear from Brian Lone first, who uh, speaks about the fact that the period of the game which they kind of ruled was early in extra time where Limerick got a bit of a lead which they were able to hold on to and then you'll hear from John Kiley who spoke about how important this victory is for Limerick and the nature of the win as well Well sure look obviously very disappointed um, that we weren't able to um, get the results um, very disappointed uh, for our supporters and all the people that supported us and very disappointed for for the team uh, they've worked so hard and um, um, really uh, give everything uh, for the jersey and um, have been doing that consistently since we came back on the 8th of December. There must be an awful lot to take from it in the sense that your team did perform. I mean, they, they came up with a performance today. Yeah, well, look, you, you know, there's, you have no business coming down here. Like, it's, it's, it's a great place to play hurling. Um, hope against a really good opponent, really strong opponent. Um, and... Um, Look, unless you come down to perform, you'll be wiped out by those guys. Um, so uh, our guys performed, but look, just weren't able to um, 
uh, get ahead of them. I think an extra time, I think it was 8-4. What was the difference? Well, sure, look, I don't know, they, it kind of gave them a little bit of an easy start. Um, you know, they got two up um, straight away and then we were chasing it a little bit after that. Um, so, look, uh, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know what exactly was the difference, but um, in the game of hurling, small things can have um, big effects and, um, and big consequences. So, look... Um, over the whole game, we're, 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 we're very proud of our lads and uh, how they worked. Down but not out. In two weeks' time, you have another game. Yeah, we have another game. Like That's, a, that's another proposition now, so we'll, we'll just take that in and see how we go. Listen, it was a really tough battle, really, really tough battle, and it took everything that we had in the tank you know, to, to try and get it across the line. And the game was right in the melting pot up until literally the last puck of the game, so you know, all credit to Clare. They brought a massive challenge. Uh, but all credit to our boys too, who you know trusted themselves, trusted the group. Uh, you know our lads coming off the bench made a huge impact in the game today, and I'm really, really proud of what they've contributed uh, in the build-up to the game, and, and, and most importantly again today, uh, you know when we needed them. So, yeah, fantastic achievement. Very honoured to be a part of the group, or part of the group that would lift the, the, the McMackie Cup. It is obviously something that we would take great pride in, being the first team to lift that cup. You know. Uh, a great family of, of hurling people and obviously you know one of the iconic players in our history of, of GA and Nimerick so listen thrilled that he's been acknowledged in the way he is with the, the Munster Championship being named after him which I think is a great honour for him and his family but more so for us today now for us to be able to lift that cup I think they'll take great pride in that as well. Up until the 87th minute there was never more than three points between the teams and that was in the early stages what was the difference in extra time because that's where he, I won't say pulled away but that's where he got on top. Yeah, I think we were just a little bit more efficient, you know, and we were able to get a, get a half a yard to get the shot off, you know, whereas I think in, in our defence we were able to close them down and pressurise the shot and we put a huge amount of pressure on their shots and hence, the, you know, the, we forced the wides, whereas up, up in our, our half the field we were able to still get a yard, get a half a yard to get the shot off and I think that was the difference really. There's always a debate, are you better off having another game or are you better off going the straight route? I imagine after a game like that you'd nearly be glad of the rest. Listen, it's not going to be so much arrests, but I can tell you one thing, I'm damn glad that we're in a semi-final and I don't care if it's four weeks or 54 weeks, we'll manage it. We've been there before, we've a lot of experience in it and we'll have it on the ball, I can guarantee you. And just before I let you go, will Keane be okay for that or do you know yet? No idea. We'll have to wait and see, hopefully. Please God, he's doing well, he's doing well, but uh, he needs to be absolutely 100% before we'll, uh, we'll put him on the field. So that was Brian Lone and John Kiley speaking after the game with O'Shean Langan on Off the Ball. Uh, just at the end of John Kiley there, Skell, he's asked about Keane Lynch and like Keane Lynch, they've achieved this Munster title effectively without him since the second game when he went down with that hamstring injury. So they've had to find these solutions during the year and they had to you know, find ways of winning without their best hurler. We kind of expect he's going to be back for the semi-final. John Kiley's playing his cards close to his chest saying we're not quite sure if he's going to be back. But they have a few weeks now to rehab that and get him back onto the pitch. And what a boost he'll be when he slots back in. Yeah, like I suppose we spent the last half an hour kind of lauding Clare and Limerick and particularly Limerick for what they've done what they're able to do and they've done it without their best player. <laughs> you know, like it's ridiculous. <laughs> so he's going to come back in and slot straight in. Like, and like Conor O'Neill has done well. He has mm. done well to be fair to the fella. Like he's, he's just a kid, like you think about it and he's, he's slotted into that system as well and, and hasn't had to skip to beat. You know, probably doesn't have the influence obviously that Keane Lynch has. So like when you get Keane Lynch back in and then have a Conor O'Neill to come in again, it just strengthens Lemon's case even further. Like it's, 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 oh my God, it's frightening. But I, I'd say that the severity, I didn't realise actually Lynch's injury was that severe because like with a hamstring, if it's 
bad you're probably back in you know five or six weeks but like when you're heading in towards the six seven eight weeks you know you're heading into a, a series grade or a grade three tier or something like that so he's uh he's got a long road in front of him but like he's he's so good right that like it's hard to see how how do limerick improve but like he is so good that when he comes back in they automatically go up five ten percent again you know that's how good he is like and he's he, he's just he's just a ball player like and he's I think if you if you were to go to any other county uh, around the country and check out their best player, for example, check out Tony Clare, Tony Kelly out of Clare, you know the Clare machine doesn't doesn't you know tick as well for sure. Like you take out probably Conor Whelan out of Galway, definitely doesn't tick anyways at all. So for Limerick to be able to produce the performances they're producing without Keane Lynch, like is is amazing. And so if he's available or not, I don't think John Kelly. I'm not going to say he won't care. Obviously, they still have a mission, but again, it's not going to stop the train. Yeah, Murph, it's maybe easier to bring Keane Lynch back into the team than uh, this kind of talk that Peter Casey is almost back from his uh, cruciate ligament injury now. Very difficult to bring a player in, though, who hasn't played since All-Ireland Territory last year. He's been out for, you know, the best part of eight or nine months now. To try and bring him back into a team is almost impossible. But in Lynch's case, where he's so crucial to the system, and you would think that once he gets fit, he's going to be reasonably sharp anyway, it's much easier to fit Lynch back in than Casey at this stage. Yeah, it is. And even look, I mean, for, for Casey, you know, come back from a cruciate injury, there's an element of building your confidence back up again on the leg going into an actual match. That's a tough thing for any player I've, I've, I've talked to with cruciate injuries is, you know, going back into the rough and tumble of, of inter-county matches after having had an injury of a cruciate. It's it's not easy to do, especially the fact that Keane Lynch has played a lot of games this year as well. You know, as in that counts for a lot. Um, OK, he has a hamstring injury, but there's a lot he can do to keep up a certain level of fitness as well. And then it may just take a week or two of getting back into full fitness after that. Like I don't, I don't doubt John Kiley that he's saying, you know, they don't know if they're going to have him because of the severity of the injury. Um, I would say, with the time now and the way that you know, I'm sure the excellent staff they have, the medical staff down there, I'm sure he's not too far off it, and he won't be too far off it for the semi final. But the other thing is, is that just does John Kiley have to start him? If there's a doubt, do you start him? Do you maybe hold off and introduce him later into the game if you know he has a half an hour in him or something like that? John Kiley has this to play with now, so he doesn't necessarily have to do anything silly if he, if you know, if he doesn't think Keen Lynch is fit. Because the bottom line is, unfortunately for Keen Lynch, he's missed a lot of championship games now this year. But for John Kiley and for Limerick, the most important thing was if you said, right, we have enough to win this All Ireland semi final without Keen Lynch. That's what we think. Keen Lynch maybe isn't a hundred percent yet. If we have Keane Lynch for an All Ireland final, that'll be absolutely enormous, you know. And the main thing is Limerick winning the All Ireland this year. That's for John Kiley. The main thing is we win. So he just has to figure out here. There's no point in introducing Keane Lynch into this team if he's not 100%. Even if he's 80%, there's no point because they're going so well. And like James is saying, Carl O'Neill has done a great job there. He's not Keane Lynch, but he's a young man and he's done a great job. And he, you know, he he performed really well so far at centre forward. So. It'll be interesting to see. We, we, I think everybody wants to see Keane Lynch back on the pitch. But um, look, we, we, I suppose we can only cross our fingers now and hope that the injury comes right. But Peter Casey, you know, it's just the cruciate now is a trickier one. And even if he does get back, he, he, he's lacking about a year of fitness as well. So it's just a tough situation for him. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, look, that's the Munster side of things and the Munster final that we've had. So now Limerick go directly to an All-Ireland semi-final as the champions. They've lifted uh, the new Mick Mackey Cup, which it felt kind of appropriate they would do so in the name of a Limerick legend after the game yesterday. Four-point win after extra time. And Clare now have got a week off to recuperate from that extra time in the very difficult game that they've had against Limerick. They put the feet up a little bit and watch Wexford against Kerry this coming weekend in a preliminary All-Ireland quarter-final and get ready for a quarter-final the week afterwards. And then the All-Ireland series 
going to kick on week after week pretty much after that it's an intense finish between now and the middle of July the Leinster final lacked intensity a little bit we'll see what the two guys thought they're still friends uh, on this Monday as we record the pod uh, which is good news after Kilkenny 22 points Galway 17 so three in a row for Kilkenny 74 titles overall 22 as a player and manager for Brian Cody 18 as a manager which is just an insane record really uh, he's now gone ahead of Wexford on the roll of honour so if basically if Brian Cody was a county by himself he would be in third place just behind Dublin and Kilkenny uh, with titles won but the disappointment might be from the way that Galway hurled so here's Henry Shefflin talking about the Galway performance and in many ways where it didn't work out for a team who were the narrow favourites going into the decider at Crow Park Disappointing result, but more so a very disappointing performance, and that's probably the thing that probably hurts the most. Because if you go out and you lose a big game and you, you perform to somewhat your capabilities, you wouldn't be too bad. But not to perform at all is very disappointing. So that's the probably one that's hurting the most. By half time, you were a point down. You had the win to come, and you looked in fairly decent shape at that stage. Yeah, but even the first half was just a very poor game, you know. I think for, for anyone, obviously Kenny are going to be the, the, the delighted, but for the neutral watching that game, it was just stop-start, never got any flow on it whatsoever. And, um, yeah, there was no pattern of play. We had no punch up front. Park Connor Whelan obviously was hurting him a little bit, but I said, yeah, it's just, it's just it's hard to put into words because we didn't see this one coming because... We performed fairly well in the round robin, you know, uh, top to group, probably should have even had all points and, and there was a good energy about us, there was good work rate, there was good intent in everything we did, there was intensity all over the place and training has been good the last two weeks so uh, I definitely felt we'd get a performance but it'd be good enough, I knew there was going to be a bounce in Kenny but um, yeah it just never happened and that's, that's the overriding emotion, that disappointment. So James Skell, that was your manager Henry Shefflin speaking after the game, you were I think I used the word bullish last week about Galway's chances. You were very hopeful with the way that they had hurled in the Leinster Championship round robin. And then it just didn't really get going at Crow Park at the weekend, did it? Yeah, like, and like when we speak on this podcast, I, I try to base everything on you know, evidence. Like, So the evidence was shown that Galway were unbeaten. They came through the campaign pretty good stuff. Like, so you were saying their forward juniors were beginning to tick. Their good players were playing well. And then the, a performance like that on Saturday. you know. And I'd say from, from Henry and the rest of the backroom team's perspective, that's the kind of thing that happens. Um, you try to keep it as rare as possible, where you just, you're flabbergasted. You don't know where that came out of. Because I guarantee you the energy in the training was good. You know, they had, they had momentum. Uh, I'd say Everlad was in, was in good form, personally, like on off the pitch. So there was no reason to think that the performance was, was not going to be given. And they just played very, very poor. Very bad. Like, I mean, horrendous. Like, only two players, like Conor Whelan, I think, and maybe Brian Kennedy, got scored multiple scores in play like we're only five scores it was a, it was an horrendous showing you know and it's like I, 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 I what Henry said as well I fully agree with like if you get beaten but you perform you, you're nearly it softens the blow a small bit you know but when you get beaten you don't perform at all that, that, that hurts way more because you're, you're, then you're at, you've, you come away from the game with an awful lot more questions and answers but like credit to Kikini like they, they won the tactical battle they shortened up the game a bit they, they played a different style than what they played against Wexford like uh, the likes of Richie Reid to say you know, all the ball was short. Let's say it was methodical. It wasn't lumped and long. So, and they just they just ground it out, and that's what they do. That's what I expect of Kikini all the time. Is they they'll grind and grind and grind it, so they'll always be in the fight. So you just have to fight more and open them up as best you can. And we didn't do that at all, at all. And it's a it's a damaging performance. We like and like they've got most likely, I'd imagine, obviously Cork to come through. We'd say, and then mm-hmm. to go if if they get over Cork, then go on to Limerick. So like they've got they've just made things an awful lot harder for themselves. You could say, you no, know, with yeah. respect to what's other side of the draw, but. Look, it's a long road ahead. 
No, it is. And then you look at some of the stats uh, during the game as well, James. You mentioned already the lack of scores around the pitch. So Conor Cooney gets nine points largely from dead balls. You've got Conor Whelan contributes four points from play. And look, he, he made it difficult at times for the Kilkenny defence, particularly in the first half. Then there was a lack of scores outside that. That's 13 out of the 17 accounted for just two players. You look at the shooting stats, they're not good. Like 17 scores from 36 in decent scoring range. That's a very poor turnover from a forward unit who were going yeah. well before this. That's the percentage though. So if we just touch on that for a second and put it into actual numbers. So the teams are operating now just below the 60 mark. That's where, that's where most teams, so if they have, let's say, 30 shots, let's say, for example, they're getting about 18 points. Around 60% is what they're getting, okay? Galway hit, as, as the stats show, 47%. So if you have a, a 10-point difference over the amount of shots that a team gets, that's automatically four points, you call it, with the average amount of shots that come in the game. So if, you're get, if you have an average probably of 40 shots, which most teams do, you're, you're four points behind straight away. Like, that's that's a cruel, cruel statistic. And But again, there was no rhythm. Like, I was looking, our, our midfield didn't play well. Like, Joseph Cooney touched the ball once in the second half. Like, we couldn't get, the ball didn't bounce for Tom Monaghan. You know, our subs didn't make an impact, to be honest. So you're kind of looking to see where could we have improved. And you can't narrow it to one spot. It's just so global. Like, we were just really, really poor. Um, but we were meant to be poor, if you, if you know what I'm saying. We were poor ourselves, right? But Kilkenny were very, very good in the tackle. You know, they're extremely good in the tackle, and our tackle was the complete opposite. Like we had, I can remember three instances like where we shouldered a fella into the head, like you know. So the man who was the ball, we shouldered him in, like what are you, what are you doing? Like hold him up, they say, and that just causes three frees, three yellow cards, you know, and the game gets break gets broken again. Um, and I was the great, and like people are talking about the energy, of the crowd, yeah, but you have to give them something to shout about. You know, like, you can't be just expecting the crowd to be roaring and shouting the whole time. Like, Limerick and Clare gave the crowd something to shout about yesterday. But I don't think the crowd couldn't get involved, you could say, like, on Saturday. And again, like, we touch on the referee again. I thought the referee had a, a bad performance. Like, so I thought there was cause that he should have let off. Like, and I know people would say, ah, by the letter of the law. But, like, Murph said it there a while ago about Keenan. Common sense. You know, and I, I, we're not, we're not baying for blood here now. You know, but we want just a little bit of fluency. That's all we want. It's just the game to be a bit more fluid because it was a really hard spectacle. And I did tweet: Is it the worst Leinster final in, in in recent memory? And it is, in my opinion. Like, it's it was an extremely tough watch. I'd say great for the result is great for the Kenny people, but I don't think anyone in Kenny can say, like hand on heart, that it was a good game. You know, great result for them, but I need the neutrals that say it was a bad game. So look, it's not the greatest showing for Leinster at the moment. Yeah. Murph, you played in, in my mind, the worst Leinster final there has been before this one, which was 2014, which was the year that Kilkenny beat Dublin by double scores. And it really felt like they maybe, you know, that Dublin team who had won a Leinster title the year before was kind of coming to an end. And you guys gave them a good kick. And that was a very one sided final to watch as a neutral. I don't think there's been as bad a, um, a Leinster final since then. No, it probably hasn't. And I remember that one because I, I think the. I think I had one possession in that game in that Leinster final and I was marking I was marking either Paul Ryan or someone like that but we had a tactic going out that way in terms of what way we're going to set up about um, against Dublin and like if it didn't turn out to be pretty in the end now it wasn't a very negative tactic but we just kind of had their, their cards marked as to what, where we wanted to really target them and we just hit them with an intensity but the other side of it was was that it was a very one-sided game there was no real like I said I suppose an intensity from you know being a good battle uh, or a spectacle to watch um, and, and similarly enough then uh, yesterday or sorry Saturday evening it wasn't again but you know I was trying to figure out really why it wasn't you look at Limerick and Clare Clare knew they had to throw absolutely everything at uh, Limerick if they were to be in with any sort of a chance and, and the whole build up we were calling this last week saying this is going to be an absolutely incredible game now we weren't saying the same thing about Kilkenny and Galway hmm. the reason I think it wasn't a spectacle was because 
you know, Kilkenny would have looked at what happened in Pierce Stadium and said, right, well, where do we need to turn this around? And like, what was evident for me straight away was that uh, Parik Mannion was sitting back. Now, I didn't think Fintan Burke was sitting back as far, but he was certainly sitting back a little bit. But Parik Mannion was pretty much sitting on the 45. And I think Kilkenny looked at this and went, right, Richie Lahey, who that's a deliberate, uh, you know, I suppose, tactical change or a substitute that, start, well, he was started the game, but Richie Lahey wasn't really getting games up until now. So they obviously looked at Richie Lahey and said, we'll put him in in Park Mannion and get him to run up and down that line and potentially draw Park Mannion out of that area. But Park Mannion didn't come. So as a result then, Kilkenny were just striking long balls over the bar. So they weren't even having to bring the ball really into contact. So they're, like, whereas we were looking at the limerick Clare game, where lads were forced to go into contact, forced to win a good ball, pop it out, they were getting tackled again. Kilkenny actually kind of sat back away from Galway and tried to draw Galway out in them. And then Galway didn't come up either. So Galway, there was a kind of a standoff really there. Like Paddy Deegan got two points down the left-hand side from distance. Like Adrian Mullins' point, I think, summed it up. Owen Murphy had a ball. He was standing in six-yard box for the puck out. He stood, looked out at Adrian Mullen uh, on the sideline, poked it out to him. Adrian Mullen caught it and put it over the bar. I think Galway were after getting a score before that that they had to work really hard for. So for me, I was looking at that going, that just didn't make sense for me there that why Galway didn't just go, right, do you know what? We need to just step it up here and maybe, okay, risk exposing our backs in behind the full back line. But let's push up on Kilkenny here a small bit. Um, I thought what Kilkenny did really well as well was there was two kind of areas I think they really targeted. One was Mikey Butler was just following Cahill Mannion wherever he went. Now, we talked about all year we've been talking about Cahill Mannion saying, you know, he makes Galway click when he goes towards around that centre-back area, picks up the ball as it's coming out of defence and then sprays it into Conor Whelan or whatever. But Mikey Butler, who we're now starting to see is one of the stickiest, tigerish defenders at the moment. You love him. I love him. He's a great lad. But, like, I mean, he manned the match yesterday and what did he do? He just stayed fighting and fighting. He went off as a blood sub, came back on, smallest man in the pitch, caught a ball on the 21, but he was fighting the whole time. And the thing was, was... He wasn't the man in the match in the first 30 minutes, we'll say, because he was just following Cahill Mannion, hounding him. And what happened then, Galway said, Cahill Mannion is getting no purchase out here, out the field. Get him back into the full forward line. And for me, I was going, happy days. Cahill Mannion is actually more dangerous out the field. And the other one then was Tommy Monaghan. Tommy Monaghan has been hugely influential for Galway um, all through the year. But... Kilkenny then introduced Conor Fogarty into the middle and something that Conor Fogarty does that's it's hard for the untrained eye I think to see it is that how much he breaks up the game in terms of stopping Galway from winning the ball like we'll all look and we'll look at TJ's great catches or, or Conor Whelan's great points but Conor Fogarty gets into the mix there and he just wins the ball and pops it out and it's not glamorous stuff but what kind of an influence did Tommy Monaghan have on the game yesterday? I know James, you were saying the ball didn't maybe break from. I don't think the ball was allowed break from because Kilkenny were just looking at him going, he's, he's dangerous up that wing and if we give him the space, he'll be really dangerous. But you look at it in the first half where he won a ball and he was forced to go back to his own 45 to win a ball and straight away Kilkenny swarmed him to break it up. Adrian Mullen gets a point off it. So I think they just got their matchups really right. And it was a very flat game, but going back to what you were saying, Will, about 2014, you don't care as long as you just win the match. You're into an All-Ireland semi-final. It's not glamorous. You know, you're, they're, they're not going to be talking about this game for years to come. But I think Kilkenny are happy now that, OK, we'll give up Pierce Stadium. We lost that one. But if it meant getting everything right for this game, happy days. So, look, it wasn't a glamorous game by any means. But Kilkenny people or, or the Kilkenny team won't mind that. Murph, to that point, and again, as a defender, you're going to take a lot of pleasure from this. Galway in the last kind of half an hour of the game, I think it's a 31-minute spell, they only managed to score six points and only one of them came from play. Like, that's a really good lockdown when the game was actually in the balance. 
Yeah, really good lockdown. And I, I think Galway just kind of maybe ran out of ideas as to where they were going to be getting scores from. And like James pointed out there that they only converted 47%. When you think of some of the ones that they left behind them, like Conor Cooney, 65. Look, 65, okay, they don't always go over, but like TJ Reid was knocking them over at the other end. They're important scores to get. And there just seemed to be as well for Galway, a few wides crept in coming down the home straight there that... I suppose galvanised Kilkenny that Kilkenny were going it's great to see them ones going wide you know when you're a defender and someone gets a shot and you're praying that it goes wide and it does go wide it's, it, that's a great thing for defence and then Kilkenny started to come out with a few balls I think then the Galway crowd were getting a little bit kind of angst with the referee because Kilkenny probably got a few frees then that you know could have went either way which also helped Kilkenny as well like there was a few free outs there that we got actually again Mikey Butler won one where I think Jason Flynn could have been tripped or someone like that Richie Reid was going back seeing him given as free ins but that kind of fed into Kilkenny's momentum then that they were getting the breaks just when they needed to be getting the breaks. Galway hit the few wides. And then, significantly enough, the likes of Park Welch coming on, John Donnelly coming on, Walter Welch, they had great influence. Like, even the last score, the second last score there that John Donnelly catches it, pops it off to Park Welch over the bar. Like, coming down that home straight, Kilkenny just kicked on. And like you said, for a defence, it was great because they just seemed to come out with those balls at the really important times. And that lifts, that lifts everyone on the pitch. When you see 10 minutes ago, 5 minutes ago and your backs are coming out with balls or the winning freeze out, that's enormous. You know, that's nearly worth the score on the board as well. So it was really satisfying from where I was sitting, seeing how the defence was finishing the game, that they were finishing so strong and really using the ball really well, which was a lot different to how they played against Wexford. Yeah, Skell, did that add to your frustration a little bit? Because you were saying about you weren't entirely happy with the way that James Owen had officiated the game, that at a time when Galway were trying to get a little bit closer, it seemed a free would be conceded, TJ pops yeah. it over. It was like a very familiar story about that last half hour, really. Yeah, like, I, I don't think we could build any bit of rhythm at all. Like, so when you're trying to, especially when you're, when you're behind, you're trying to, I suppose, up the pace of the game, you know, and try to tack on as many scores as possible, get into a bit of rhythm, see can you find a pattern of play that's actually, that will actually work for you, because up to that point, nothing was working for Galway at all. Um, but like, I just had so many questions and, you know, it, it, you could feel you could feel as well. Again, we're talking about the crowd, but um, I thought Owens was was really poor, too finicky. Um, I and I came away. I know this is petty now on my behalf, but how come there was a Leinster ref doing the Munster final and there wasn't the Munster ref doing the Leinster final? That's where my head was going. Like you know, just trying to clutch the straws here. But uh, it's just look, I, I'm not shaking anything away from the farmers like or from Kilkenny because they won the game. I say they played the game that was put in front of them and they they adapted to James Owens just like oh we should have done. You know or like. So credit where credit is due. Um, but I was just, as I said to you at the start, I had so many questions with, with for Galway. Um, I'm questioning, do, do they actually want to win the Leinster? Do you know what I'm saying? Like you look at, I look at the way Kikini celebrated. I look at the way Limerick celebrated Munster, right? Do Galway actually want to win the Leinster? Do you know, or were they treating it as just another game, another stepping stone? That's a, that's a question I have. Our puck out strategy, what is it like? Do you know, what's our puck out strategy like? We hit 90% of our puck outs down the same wing in the first half and I'm wondering what's going on because we're not winning them. You know, I don't know what the strategy is. They're too slow. Because they're too slow, it allows the team to set up. So we can't get a bit of a foothold in the game at all. And then you saw the Wexford game, which is the one blip you could say we had in the round robin, whereby when the game became a bit frantic, same thing, all the puckouts down the one side. Kept going down the one side and it became very, very lethargic, became very kind of overly structured that the defence can... Crack. On that puckout point, Skell, you've brought this up a few times. Like We talked about Galway and how the puckouts didn't work particularly well. I think going right back to the Wexford game away from home, like we've been talking about it that long. That's the one, yeah. There's been like nearly two months to try and rectify it and I'm sure this is something that's worked on a lot in training. Why have Galway not been able to speed up the puckout or have a bit more variety to it? Um, the only thing I can say is that it's if 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 Aina is like 
taken eight, nine, ten seconds to work out. I think it's structured. I think it's probably a part of their game plan. You know, I mm-hmm. think what they're trying to do is overload one wing, make it a battle, and then spread it open. But it's just it's not working to the kind of the effect that they're, they're after. Um, and there's no real variance to the ball. I see. I'm looking at the Kikini poke out. Kikini, I think, got 11 out of 11 inside their own 65. So they hit 11 targets inside their own 65. Not just the handy one to their full back now, but they got 11 off inside the 65. Go, we got two. You know, and so if you were, if, if I'm a, ke- a keeper and I'm trying to kind of pull out the Kikini defence, which is what I want, I want Kikini defence to come out. I don't want them to go back. I don't want them to pack up our forwards. I want them to, to create. Uh, I want to create a big pitch up up that side and, and create a small pitch our side. The only way I do it is if I draw them out with short pokeouts or draw them out with kind of mid-range pokeouts, which is Anthony inside your 65. We didn't do that. So Kikini go, right, this ball's coming along. Let's just sit back and pack it out. That's exactly what happened. And I, you see then how hard Conor Whelan had to work for his points. My God. like He put in a great performance, let's say, but he finished with the same tally as Adrian Muller. And look how, I won't say easy, I would say easier Adrian Muller had it when he shooting for his points. You know, so and I think the game, especially in Hurland, it's huge. The puck out game is if you can win the puck out strategy or you can win that that kind of fast to play, you're on, a, you're on a, a long, long way to win the game because then you're actually managing the game. You're managing the pace of the game. You're managing where the ball is going. You're in full control of it and just we're, we're stuttering, stuttering big time in that department. Mm. Paul, it's not puck outs that Kilkenny got right in this case, but definitely their approach was, um, let's say, less reliant on the longer ball as we saw in the Wexford game. So Kilkenny obviously learned from that. I mean, I think it was uh, our good friend at No Plan B, GAA, uh, stuck up just literally before we were about to record. Um, he stuck up the stats from Richie Reid and the distribution which he put in at Crow Park on the weekend just gone by. And like, when you look at it, Murph, it's very different at the amount of times that he launched longer ball up into the opposition 45 in the Wexford game. He has got a lot of green marks on his passes this week and they're basically sprayed all over the place. So clearly, Richie Reid has used the ball an awful lot better. So and in a more general sense, Kilkenny have used the ball in a better way. What, what are the numbers there now? So we're looking at the possessions here. So we've got two beside each other, which are about possessions retained. So he had 19 possessions, Richie Reid, against Wexford. Only 10 of them were retained, and he gave away the ball nine times. In the Galway game, he made 15 out of 18 from his possessions and only lost possession three times. Like That's, that's clearly... A better picking better passes yeah. and also executing them better at the same time too yeah absolutely and like that just comes from it, it, it's clear to see for me there anyway that for some reason it was a plan against Wexford to actually strike a lot longer balls because you can't just turn this on overnight and go okay now we're passing short it doesn't work like that like Kilkenny are I suppose they maybe took a little bit longer to come to the party in terms of actually working this short passing but they have it in their locker and they can do it I mean they showed it the weekend they've showed it many matches they can do it but for me then that why it happened against Wexford is they were obviously said listen we are going to strike balls and the thing is in or we're going to strike long balls and in a game it's very hard to go back on that to get that message to the pitch that because you need your players to come looking for it you need your half forward line to come short you need your midfielders to come short you know it's what we talked about last week the likes of Adrian Mullen being too far from goal out around midfield and so on but you need lads to come and have a look for it around the half forward line and there was there was always someone there available and when they weren't available we actually saw Kenny recycling it going back across the line going back to Owen Murphy Owen Murphy had spread out the other side maybe to Paddy Deegan or to uh, Tommy Welch or whoever so the, the thing was was that not only were they looking for the pass and looking to work it and look to run through Galway as in pop the pass take it on break the tackle pop it again they were actually going well, okay when it's not on bring it back around give it back to Hugh Lawler 
bring it back to Owen Murphy and launch it from there. So it was, yeah, like, I mean, a complete change from the Wexford game. But that just, like I said, that just goes to show me that they didn't just suddenly learn this in, in two weeks. This was something that they always had, but for some reason against Wexford, they, they weren't able to adapt their game once it wasn't working against Wexford. So, yeah, the, the stats there speaks for themselves. And Richie Reid had an enormous game yesterday as well, in fairness to him. Like, 18 possessions is huge in a game. So, um, it, great to see, I suppose, a real steady performance there in terms of the use of the ball yesterday. And, again, only for it, I, I think Galway would have won the game. Like, I mean, if you're feeding balls down on top of McInerney, if you're feeding them down on, on top of Davy Burke, like we saw Davy Burke, he had a, or, or Dahi Burke, he had a savage game as well, actually, the weekend, and he fielded a huge amount of ball. So, if you're going to field ball down on top of them, you know, it's like nuts to a monkey. They'll just take it, and that's it. So, it's uh, it, there's only one way Kilkenny could do it at the weekend, and, and it was great to see the great use of the ball. Scale when it comes to Richie Reid then to bring you back to an incident again that was highlighted on the Sunday game by Jackie Turrell and that was Fahey's stamp on him when he was prone on the ground Yeah, I think if the officials see that correctly that would have been a red card yeah I, I again I don't condone that at all I'd say that's, that's, that's a red card you know and, I, and again like Keenan's a, he's, a, he's a, an awful sound kind of quiet fella so it's completely out of character like for him to kind of do that so I'm wondering why what was in his head you know I, I, I was saying to myself if the ball was kind of loose or whatever maybe you can justify the action but the ball wasn't loose the man was down injured as Murphy said he, he received a kind of a head injury like so it's, it could be serious or semi-serious just move on so I don't know what that's that was about rush blood to the head if the ref sees it it's a red card all day long yeah shouldn't happen can't happen shouldn't be done right small matter then of handshake gate 2.0 I really thought when we spoke last week this wasn't even going to be an issue I thought the game would finish two lads would walk over to each other a handshake would happen because they're both aware that everyone's been talking about it in the week leading up to the game it was going to be a, a handshake and maybe even a pat around the back between Shefflin and Cody and life would move on irrespective of the result Kilkenny had this game won with about seven or eight minutes to go so Brian Cody will have known going up towards the end of the game as much as focus would have been what's happening between the white lines that a handshake was going to happen or he was going to have an interaction with Henry Shefflin we all kind of waited to see what would happen there was a long period on the pitch before the presentation where Henry Shefflin was walking around. He shook hands with some of the Kilkenny backroom team. I think he worked his way over to some of his club mates and shook hands with some of the Ballyhale players. He then actively had to seek out Brian Cody. Brian Cody's feet were stuck on the ground in Crow Park. He was not moving over towards Henry Shefflin. Shefflin had to make his way all the way over. It was a reasonably cold handshake. And then the TV cameras caught Henry Shefflin shaking his head for about six or seven paces as he walked back over towards his management team. Skell, to me, as a neutral, we'll get Murph's take on it now in a second because he's caught beautifully between two stools here. It didn't look good. And I don't think that's what's hyping it up, Skell. I think it didn't look good. Uh, it, no, it didn't. I, I look, and people will say that I'm trying to deflect away from the performance. I'm not. So first and foremost, the performance was cat, right? But, like... I, I just can't get around the fact that like Henry won 10 hours to this man like or it was a, was a large part of him to hours to this man go over and shake his hand Brian just go over and shake his hand put it to bed you have you have you have full control of this now you can put all this to bed and cr- all this hysteria all this media talk just put it to bed go over and shake his hand and just be like you need to be gracious in, when you win like you know what I mean you need to be kind of humble when you win and like, just park it up let's say so I was extremely 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 disappointed with that we had to go <laughs> through the whole thing again I thought it was going to be dead and buried I thought they were just going to shake hands move on on to the next but it didn't happen and uh, look for what he's done in the game with say Brian Cody and like what he's produced over the years we just mentioned 22 Leinster titles say, as a player and manager um, 
he can do an awful lot better than that, to be honest. You know, and I know this. I'm not saying anything about him as a person, like because I, 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 from what I gather, like he's a pure gentleman off the pitch to, to, to other clubs and people and doing functions, etc. But this instant, this particular instant, just go over, put it to bed, shake the man's hand, and move on. Didn't happen. Disappointing. Yeah, this guy's a multiple winner, right? So again, I'm not questioning Cody here, but I just think Skell that the traditional thing to do when you are the winning manager, particularly and. Martin Kiley pointed this out about John Kiley. He was uh, Martin Kiley was in the game for Radio One for the Munster final, and when John Kiley came over to talk to the media afterwards, he made a point to saying, "Lads, I'll be back in a minute. I just want to go over and find Brian Lone and shake his hand before I come back." And I, I think that, that was not to do with Cody and Shefflin, but it just goes to show that John Kiley's first instinct after being mobbed by the Limerick fans coming onto the pitch was to go and find Brian Lone and his management team, have a quick chat, shake the hand. It's what the winning manager yeah. does. That, that, that is just what a winning manager should do. And actually, yeah. that's exactly what Shefflin did scale back in Salt Hill. It was actually Shefflin who made the way over to Cody to shake his hand because Cody was making his way on that occasion to talk to the referee. Yeah, like what Kylie said and did, like I think it's the highest degree of sportsmanship. Like, you know, again, it's, it's very easy, you know, to, to get caught up in the hysteria after winning such a big game, let's say. But what the, the, the right thing to do and the smart thing to do is, is like that, is just be, be very humble when you... When you win and go over and commiserate with the with the losing team, um, and like that's what Henry did in goal, like he went over and uh, uh, seek him out, initiated the whole thing again, and like there's no question about it. I don't I don't care what anybody says, and this just proved it, right. I I just do think Brian is extremely disappointed in Henry coming up to Galway. You know like that we're direct competitors to Kilkenny. I don't see it being such an issue if Henry went to Cork. You know <laughs> where where they're not going to be meeting the Leinster Championship, right? So that's a bit a part player too. So I, and I that's my position, and I'm not moving from it. <laughs> okay. Right. So basically, Scales not moving in the same way that Cody didn't want to move from his position when he saw Henry <laughs> Shefflin walking to him. Murph, look, you've played alongside Henry Shefflin. You've worked for many years under Brian Cody. You've got an experience of both men. You know them better than Scales and I know them. What was your take on what happened? Because you you were in the stadium, and I'm guessing you mm-hmm. didn't see the handshake actually happen in real time then. Uh, no, yeah, so we were walking around. We were going to head out or head around to the Hogan stand side, and as we were walking around, um, the lad I was with just said, oh, they're after going over and shaking hands there. And I heard a bit of a cheer and I was going, oh, that's grand, so it's done, happy days. At least they went over and shook hands. And next thing on the way home, I saw it trending on Twitter and I was going, oh, what's, what's this about now? And obviously I saw what I saw. So at the time, I didn't see what everyone else saw. But um, yeah, look, to be honest, I was just, I was disappointed. Like, you know, I was just disappointed in the whole thing that everything could have been just put to bed as soon as the final whistle was blown go down shake hands and that's it done everybody actually a lot of people lose interest in what happened in Pierce Stadium because they think they misunderstood it or whatever but just the way it played out you know there was a conscious effort not to be the at least I suppose to put it best way there was conscious effort to at least not be the first person to initiate the handshake there like not that he wasn't going to go and shake hands with him but he obviously went and shook hands with every other player and and, and stood there and you know for me anyway like you know soldiering with Henry for so many years Brian was my manager for so many years you know I was disappointed I was disappointed for Henry to be honest because I was just going look at the man the man has been like he won his first All-Ireland when I was about 10 years of age I wear a green helmet because Henry Shefflin wears a green helmet you know so I was disappointed that Henry maybe felt aggrieved in that situation I think a lot of Kilkenny people also feel the same because you know Henry is Henry like you know and, and he will always be that way to Kilkenny people so 
I was, look, I was disappointed, but at the same time, I think I kind of just went right. Maybe that is it, put to bed, and it's not a good way to finish it up. But hopefully, I kind of nearly wanted just to finish up now that we're not constantly going back to this because it's not good for either side to be kind of going back and forth of what, where do we stand now, what, what is the situation. But look, I was, I was disappointed in it, um, and like I'm not going to be standing saying that. Oh, it was there. It was a lovely handshake. It wasn't like you know. It was it was a handshake, and fair play to Henry for going up and initiating it. But um. Yeah, look, not the not the ideal way we we wanted. Everybody wanted it to finish in terms of just putting it to bed. But look, it was what it was. He's shaking his head as he walks away. I think having had a couple of days now to think about it, because his mentor is not embracing him or maybe showing the respect that he expected. I don't think in that very short exchange there's anything said between Cody and Shefflin that's annoyed him. I think he's just annoyed about the fact that he actually had to go and seek Cody out. Yeah, I don't think there was anything said. I mean, it was. You could just see Henry went up and probably just said, congratulations, Brian, well done. Maybe something, it, it, you couldn't say any more than that. Um, but yeah, like you said, it was just the way it played out. I don't think there was anything said. And I, look, I don't I don't think Brian even said anything either. But it was just that. It was that that he had to go and walk. And Brian obviously could see where Henry was as well. But it was just the fact that Henry had to go walk and shake hands that... You know, look, I'm sure Henry would have appreciated after the whole, you know, the madness of in the papers and all the media after the Pierce Stadium game that he would have appreciated Hen- or Brian coming down and just shaking hands with him and saying, well done, you know, water under the bridge, let's carry on. But the fact that Henry had to be the fella again to go and initiate the handshake, I think that's, like you said, why he was shaking his head when he was walking back. Brian Cody said, and I'll play a bit of audio from his chat with Asher Riley on OTB on Saturday evening in a moment, but Brian said he didn't want to be the story. Uh, when they did the press conference afterwards and that was kind of the way he addressed it he was like it's about my team it's about my players we just won a Leinster title I don't want to talk about the whole handshake thing but again does he not kind of he could have easily not been the story if he had just gone over and shook Henry's hand yeah well that's it I mean like if, if you if you think about it for two minutes to yourself you know in the run into the game thinking what's the best way we could do this is shake hands before the game shake hands mm. after the game whatever you know what you're going to do in that situation so like you said if you just want to throw water on the bonfire it's just a case of walk down shake hands and then suddenly everyone's going ah that that was a thing in often that was a storm in a teacup but like you said yeah it's you're contradicting yourself by saying it if you're not going and shaking his hand but yet you're saying you don't want to make a big deal of it. It's it doesn't make sense that way. So yeah, look again. Look, Brian. Brian in fairness, we all know that Brian conducts himself in interviews. You know, he does like to dispel this and that there's anything other than this is a game to be won and we're here to win a game. So to be fair to Brian, that's the way he talks anyway. Like you know, and he doesn't like to say anything in an interview that may be carried over for weeks on end or that may come back to be a distraction coming into an All Ireland semi final. Um, but yeah, look, I think we've, we we definitely hit the nail on the head there by just saying if if you want to get rid of it, just go down, walk down the line in the final whistle, and you know, and, and and the match didn't even finish in a hectic way either. Like you know, Kilkenny had it won, so you had your time to plan it and go down and shake his hand and just finish it up. But um, yeah, I think if you wanted to dispel it, that's the way you do it. Yeah, I was willing to understand it as a little bit of a heat of the moment thing in Salt Hill because of the lay free, because of the nature of the defeat. This time round, Kilkenny had won. Like, uh, like Cody has the higher ground before he walks across and there's no problem doing that. Well, one last question, Murph, on this. Do you kind of come round to Scales' way of thinking now that Cody definitely has some resentment towards the fact that Shefflin has gone to Galway then? Yeah, maybe so. I don't know, to be honest. I know Henry has been asked into the Kilkenny setup um, uh, on previous occasions. How many times? I don't know. Or was it just once? I'm not sure. 
but um, yeah maybe maybe Brian was a bit disappointed over it I don't know I mean certainly it's not a conversation I'll, I'll, I'll ever have with Brian or I'm sure not a lot of people will um, maybe he was disappointed because you know obviously they had been through a lot as, as a manager and player and won great All-Irelands over the years and maybe he thought that geez if Henry comes in here he'll do a lot for the younger lads and so on And but then Henry has his own plans and I think you just have to respect that like you have to just whatever a lad wants to do it's, it's not personal it's just business like you know you want to go and be a manager yourself you want to stand alone you want to do your own thing like the reason Henry was such a standalone great player was because he relied on himself quite a lot of the time in terms of preparing himself he had his own way of viewing games he had his own way of training in terms of off the pitch and conducting himself like he's his own man so I think he very much wanted to put his own spin on management and maybe Brian just feels that Look, he would have at least appreciated the help over the few years inside in the camp but again that's for me it's speculation though as well because we don't know no there is no indication there but you could understand like James when James is saying that you can understand where he's coming from by saying it because like there, there's a small bit of an needle there and it has to come from somewhere you know yeah that needle was definitely there post game by the way I, I promise you this is not just the media uh, deciding to latch onto something and try and make something out of it first time round, I thought the reaction was maybe a little bit over the top and sure look we talked about it for about half an hour in the pod so we're as guilty as anyone but when you have what we're just about to hear now which is when Brian Cody spoke to Ash O'Reilly after the game now this happened not too long after the handshake and as you can probably appreciate Ashling was already down in the tunnel area waiting for the manager so she hadn't actually seen the physical handshake take place during the presentation but she asked about essentially the vibe between Cody and Shefflin after the game and this is what Brian Cody had to say I have to ask you about Henry Shefflin uh, there's a lot of talk about it at the minute are we reading into it too much or is there anything in it? Look, all I know is that we're playing Galway tonight. It's got on. I mean, I don't consider myself the most important person out there by a long shot. So I only talk about our team and the opposition players. Who's looking after either team? To me, is is not of no concern whatsoever. Did you just end up uh, shaking hands or embracing after the game? Look, I'll tell you what, we'll talk about the players and the team, and that's it. Right, so that's Brian Cody uh, speaking to Ashton O'Reilly. Make up your own mind. By all means, bombard the comments underneath the YouTube video or send us a tweet at the Hurling Pod and uh, give us your thoughts on Handshake 2.0. Will we see Handshake 3.0? Is there a chance, uh, despite a good Clare and Limerick were at the weekend of Galway and Kilkenny meeting again in an All-Ireland final? We had the lower tier finals come to a close scale at the weekend too. What a Joe McDonough Cup final. Uh, the Munster final just about lived up to this, but hard to do so because it was so entertaining between Antrim and Kerry. This is a game where Antrim were ahead uh, 12 points up after 25 minutes. They were 11 points up, I think, after the fourth goal went in early enough in the second half. Minutes, yeah. Then the goals dry up a little bit and the scores dry up a bit for Antrim. And Kerry, very much inspired by Podge Boyle, who got two goals and 11 points during the game. Also Jordan Conway coming off the bench scoring two goals. Get right back into the game. In the end, it finishes 5.22 to 4.24. You're getting nearly a score every few minutes in this game with the way that it went. Yeah. And Kerry can probably feel a little bit disappointed and aggrieved that there was a soft free given the second last score of the game for Antrim. And maybe they could have actually forced this game into extra time in a game where they were so far behind on two different points. What a wacky but brilliant Joe McDonough Cup final we had. Yeah, like I, I, we mentioned the fourth goal there, Will. I think it was around the 40-odd minute uh, in, the, in the second half and there was 11, 11 points separation. And next thing, the, it's just it's actually hard to, to actually contemplate how did Kerry get themselves back into it? Because next thing he was, oh, they're nine down. You wouldn't see. Now they're six down. They're five down. And just they kept plugging and plugging and plugging and the defence got on top. And in fair, like, with respect, they missed a couple of frees too in that, in that period, let's say, when they were three down to two down. They missed one or two frees that, that you consider easier, let's say, than what... 
than some of the scores Boyle got during the game. But I just look at Kerry, like they pulled out Shane Conway, uh, a good move, and they put Jordan inside, kind of as kind of a Roman front forward. Say. But then when they got within kind of touching distance of Venture, like two or three, they pulled Jordan Conway out. Like I, I couldn't understand what they were doing there because he was creating havoc inside there. Like he rattled two, was it two two he got? Two two off the bench, yeah. Like that's that's some contribution for a sub. Like and it's, it's, it seemed like every time he got the ball, he had one particular thing in his mind that was trying to orchestrate a score, obviously, but try try rattle the net. Like but again, Antrim grounded out until at one point is the, is, the, is the separation between the two teams. Probably was a couple of more more points. You think about it over the course of the game, but uh, they'd be happy to come away, and they just they just just about came away. But Kerry's effort, excellent. And I was saying after the game. You know, I think, like, I don't want to try and dilute the Munster Championship. That's what some people are saying. That I'm, I, that, that's what will happen when Kerry don't come into it. But I think, like, they've been in the last three Metrona Cup finals, have they? Yeah, lost twice to Antrim now, once to Westmead, yeah. You know, like, I know, they've, I know they've lost them, right? And that's fair enough, they've lost them, right? But they still deserve a shot in Munster. Give them for a trial period, maybe for two years and see how they get on. If they carry themselves, let's say, effectively make it a more permanent fixture but I think I think they have to go in I think there has to be some sort of accountability on, on behalf of Munster GA to include a county in their own province that's what I just can't stop, stop laughing at like you know, it's not like us going into Leinster like where, whereby there was I suppose it was a bit tension of some, some of the member counties Kerry are from Flipper Munster will you put them into the championship and give them a shot like you know and uh, and one, one more word for, for Antrim the penalty oh. uh, was a Clark's penalty the yeah. best penalty in memory I, I can't remember any, anyone better what a penalty yeah the, t- the two penalties in that game literally went into the top corner. Like they hit the sanction, they were so top corner. Unbelievable! Like it's the best penalty I've seen. Hmm. So that was Karen Clark two two. Uh, Conal Cunning got one ten during the game for Antrim. So <clears throat> yeah. we're not talking about an Antrim team who, in recent years, have been inspired by Neil McManus. It was uh, yeah, two points. Ali got. When yeah. Ali got to say, <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, small, <laughs> small, con- small contribution. But where hey. he's normally getting 10, 12 You know, over the course of the years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this Antrim team Murph when you look at it I don't know if you got in to see the tail end of it before you got in for the Kilkenny game but they got 25 goals across the six games five goals in the final they'll probably feel that they just about got over the line in the end with the way the game finished but the scoring that these lads have done the Saffrons during the Joe McDonough has been ridiculous yeah, like I mean, any any of the the games we watch with Antrim, there's very rarely that they don't put on a really good show and a good display. Like they they put it up to any team, like in any grade and any team they play. Like whether they're I suppose a little bit above the team or they're they're boxing higher against playing against the Galways or the Tipperaries or whatever, they always put in a good shift. Um, and in fairness to them, like like you said, you know they're never lacking in the scoring department. And James alluded to it there, like that Neil McManus is usually the man leading the way, but the likes of Conan Cunning there and stuff, you know, they have scores all over the pitch and they've great hurlers. As well, and the funny thing about it is, like, we're not questioning here Antrim coming into Leinster now. And I suppose Leinster is now represented by three provinces now at this stage, <laughs> never mind Munster not letting some of their own lads in. But, uh, you know, no one's questioning Antrim coming in, and Antrim bet you know did Kerry by one point yet there's such an argument to try and get Kerry into the Munster Championship like the whole thing doesn't make sense but not not going away from your question like Antrim have been racking up serious scores um, they're always a great team to watch like I was saying because because they do you know when you know you're going to watch a team that's going to rattle the net a good few times as you said Antrim have 25 times in the campaign why wouldn't you watch them? You know they are a great team. They bring they bring a savage work rate to, to games. Okay, they went a little bit flat against Kerry in the second half, but like that's that that can happen any team on any day. But um, no, they're they're a great team. Scores come from all angles with them. They have um, they've great hurlers all over the pitch as well, and they even play a lovely brand of hurling as well. So it's it's a credit to Antrim, uh, and I look really looking forward to seeing them in Leinster as well next year. You know because I think they'll bring a real savage edge to it as well. Um, 
But look, Antrim, full credit for the John McDonough win in fairness to them and look, really looking forward to what they'll bring next year. Yeah, three of the best matches I watched this year in hurling. Uh, the top one's still the Munster final because just the sheer quality in that final. But aside from that, Antrim Kerry, John McDonough Cup final, Kerry and Offaly in the John McDonough a few weeks back, which was a cracker of a game in Tralee. And the bits that I could see online from Antrim against Offaly, the game where Antrim were at home at the start of the Joe McDonough, where Antrim got a late goal to sneak a very high-scoring game between the two sides as well. They're three of the best games we've seen, have actually been outside the top championship. They were in the second tier of Joe McDonough. The one thing I'm really hoping for, Scale, that might happen is that the Talton Cup has got remarkably good coverage. The Joe McDonough counties would kill to get the amount of coverage the Talton Cup has had. So last week, AIB were miking up Longford players between Longford and Fermanagh to bring out a web series. They were miking up Offaly against New York this week and they're going to mic up teams in the semi-finals. So it's going to be a full web series dedicated to the Talton Cup. GA Goal showed two games in the Talton Cup quarterfinals. They showed a game in both of the previous rounds. RT Television are showing both of the semi-finals in the Talton. The final is on and the semi-finals and final are on at Crow Park. Now, that means I know it's the first year of the Talton Cup and they're trying to give it as much coverage as possible. Can we get to a point scale where the Joe McDonough Cup gets as much coverage as the Talton Cup, given that it is the equivalent competition in hurling to Gaelic football? Because from my eyes, at least, there's a really good product there that's ready to be promoted. Yeah, the G, you're, you're touching on there with like the GE are pushing the Talton Cup because it's 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 obviously its first year, its inauguration at this stage, so that they, they needed to work, you know, because I, I suppose there probably would have been questions... <clears throat> about introducing it in the first place you know because it can be seen as a second tier competition which look in essence it is right um, but I think I think Holland is always second to football nationally just for the sheer obviously the, the number of counties that play it uh, and probably the the, the the difficulty in getting Holland to catch on is because the difficulty around the sport itself right so I think the GEA need to push Holland an awful lot more and they need to put major focus onto not the likes of Limerick not the likes of Kikini they need to put major focus into Antrim and Kerry and all these teams and specifically in counties that are, are battling a sport that's probably second in their county, i.e. Kerry, you know. So, do we get to that stage? I think we have to get to that stage. I don't. I won't actually say no. We have to get there. I think as an association, if the GE are trying to grow the game, which they all, they're always saying they are, they're always trying to grow the game. They need to put money where the mouth is at this stage now and put some resources into the into all them counties, give them some coverage, and try to get the get like a snowball effect, get it going bigger and bigger and bigger, and hopefully that it it, it pulls the counties. From lower than that up then, so you want you want the you want down, you want Derry, you want you want all them teams to be rising up the way, and for Antrim and Kerry to push into the All Ireland series, that's what you want. That's natural progression, um, but that's that doesn't seem like the plan, you know, for the GA. They they seem quite content to be offering the Munster final, offering you know these games every now and then. If we get three or four cracking games during the years, like they're happy, you know, I just think there needs to be an awful lot more effort. That's a big task. Mm. Something I'd like to see from Antrim too uh, Earlier today they brought the Joe McDonough Cup For a bit of a walk around Caseman Park And it was almost symbolic this idea that you know, Eventually, maybe by 2025, 2026 Depending on what's going to happen Because the last few hurdles are now being overcome About the uh, planning applications And the appeals that were in against it And a big one of those was removed last week So it seems with the funding in place now too Caseman Park is now ready to get the green light And for the builders to actually go in and do the revamp It'll be great to get to a point where not that Ballycastle hasn't worked out in recent years or not that Caseman Park hasn't been a good home for Antrim, but for them, to, or Corrigan Park, I should say, to actually get back to Casement is going to be really important for Antrim hurling in the coming years. And, well, they're going to have Leinster hurling for 2023. Leash drop into the John McDonough Cup, which is going to be stacked next year because you're going to have Kerry, Leash, Offaly, Carlo, Kildare up, 
that's going to be a really, really good and interesting championship next year too, even with Antrim uh, going up uh, into the Leinster Championship, Westmead staying up after their win against Leash in the last round. So we've got to look forward to next year. The crowd that was there, Paul, at the game was obviously disappointing. Again, like Crow Park is a quarter full and I kind of had to resist when I saw a few people trying to claim the split season was the reason and I'm so tempted to say look at the fact that the Munster final is sold out tomorrow it's very clear this is about the product that's available but also the circumstance of the game and we spoke about this last week 7 o'clock price of diesel the fact there were no late trains back to Galway available on last Saturday night. You couldn't get a hotel room for love nor money if you tried to stay in Dublin for the weekend or even just stay for the Saturday. These were all a turnoff. And the funny thing is, if you look back at the attendances between Galway and Kilkenny, and this is not me putting a slight murph on either of your two counties, but there's never been a massive attendance for Leinster finals at Croke Park between the two. Like we've had a kind of go between low 20s, I think 2012 was 22,000, up to about 35,000 in some of the finals between the teams over the last 15 years. This shouldn't be a great surprise that Croke Park was far from full. I knew when they're running into the game, actually, that I'm sure we were talking about last week, that, you know, 7 o'clock is just, it, it, it's, it's a crazy time for a match. And I knew that put off a lot of people. And like you said, something I didn't think about, we drove to the game, but mm-hmm. a lot of people were lying on the train because they wanted to go up on the train, maybe have a few points and come back, um, you know, as is part of a, a championship day. But, you know, the fact that the game was on so late, trains weren't coming back equally to Kilkenny as much as Galway. Um, so that put people off. Um, again, I suppose, you know, if you're planning on bringing your family to Crow Park, if a match is starting at 7 o'clock, and you're not going to be off there till half eight nine, I think it was nine o'clock maybe but by the time the, the, the cup is done getting back to the car it's a late night as well now that didn't deter there was a lot of kids up there the other day and it was, it was actually great to see that regardless that you know it was a seven o'clock start there was still a huge amount of uh, underage um, you know I suppose clubs and different things brought, brought kids up on buses and things so that was great but um, in terms of general overall attendance, like I suppose realistically, uh, uh, someone might correct me on the stats of it, but the Munster final, obviously, we looked at the Munster final, we saw a stacked Turles, but I can't remember how often over the last few years, you know, consistently, which is at 45,000, I think, fills Turles, right? We had 30,000 Crow Park the other day. You know, it's not unreasonable to get 40,000, 45,000 um, in Crow Park. We played Cork a few years ago, I think it was about 40,000 in Crow Park. That would have been a full Turles, you know, that would have been a savage atmosphere. In Crow Park, though, you know, 30,000, 40,000, you know, the, the atmosphere, it takes a lot for that crowd to make a savage atmosphere in Crow Park. Um, and it's quite obvious then as well, when the upper tiers aren't full, the canal end was pretty much empty as well. You know, it's quite obvious then. So, yeah, it's something I saw a lot of on Twitter as well, just that, you know, people were talking about moving it to Tullamore or different places as well. I, I understand the argument of that, um, or to a suitable size venue that might hold 40,000, which again, you're probably going back to Turles with that. But the other side is then as well, like, you know, players want to play in Crow Park and, you know, players look forward to playing in Crow Park. So that's where you want to play it. So it's a hard one to call, but I certainly do think that you probably would have had 10,000 more people or 15,000 more people at this game. Potentially, probably 10, I'd say, if that game was at four o'clock on Saturday and which you had the Joe McDonough on before. Because again, the Kerry and Antrim people, they also had to deal with, you know, just a little bit of a later time, hotels in Dublin, all these things have to be factored in. So... It certainly wasn't the most, I suppose, um, supporter-friendly game on Saturday evening because because of everything that feeds into it. Look, and we're talking economics here, the diesel, the trains not being around um, later in the evening and, and then the hotels as well. So, look, I think if we want to, if we want to have maximum attendances at the games, um, regardless, I suppose, what else is going on with other sports, and I know Ireland were playing in different things, 
you know, um, it, 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 you kind of have to have these games at a reasonable hour to give people a half a chance anyway. And I think if you had this game at, at four o'clock or half three even on a, on Saturday, I think there would have been 10,000 more people at the game, which would have been, you know, that would have been a notable difference at the game. Yeah. Um, the attendances, by the way, uh, Kilkenny against Galway 2016 final was 29,000, 2015 was 32,000 and 2012, which was a success for Galway against Kilkenny, was 22,171. Uh, so just goes to show that this fixture hasn't always been full over the years. So just if the argument is that the split season has changed the game and that's the reason people weren't there. I think it's far more about the reasons that Murph was just talking about. Skell, this weekend we've got the primary quarter finals which are coming up. Uh, you've got Kerry at home against Wexford. It's difficult to kind of dust yourself down after playing a Joe McDonough Cup final and especially like if you lose one and then have to go out and play the week afterwards. But the winners of that game will play against Clare and Antrim then will host Cork, which maybe might be a bit of a banana skin for Cork with the way that Antrim have been going. The winners of that will play Galway. Do we see the possibility of something like 2019 where we were talking almost casually about Tipperary versus Dublin in the quarterfinal and then Dublin lost against Leash? Can you see either of the teams from last Saturday's McDonough Cup final pull off a shock this weekend? Um, well, I didn't see Wexford drawn with Westmeath, to be honest. You know, I didn't see Goyle losing that performance against Kinney. So, like, I, again, I want to go off evidence. Like, you'd say that you would imagine that Wexford would be Kerry and that Cork would be Dentron. You know, but there are... There's great, there's huge potential to stumble in these fixtures. Like Cork to Antrim is, is not a small trick, like you know. So there's 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 a it is a banana skin. There is is the potential to happen. Of course, there's potential to happen. Will it happen? I don't believe so. I think there's probably a five percent chance that that either either Kerry or Antrim win. If both them win, zero percent chance. <laughs> to be honest, that's just the way it is, right? I think that uh, especially after Wexford found, I suppose, a, a renewed element of form. And that Cork did the same thing towards the latter into the group, the round robin. So they're coming to the situation on a positive. And again, like if the game is in the Melton Posh, like having a game seven days prior, that's tough. I'm sure Antrim went out and celebrated. I'm sure Kerry went out and commiserated and had their own celebration, if you like. So it's going to be too a monumental, a monumental ask. But I'm actually very intrigued to see how it does go because again, we're I'm always advocating that Kerry should be Munster I'm advocating that, 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 that these counties Antrim should be up in the, the Lee McCarthy etc so it's interesting to see now how they'll uh, how they'll pan out but again they have two tough tests ahead of them yeah they get a little bit lost in the shuffle as well Murph when it comes to the coverage for this weekend because again the football qualifiers have been understandably picked by Sky Sports who've got the Saturday right so there Crow Park is a double header you've got uh, Clare against Roscommon and Mayo against Kildare sorry Clare against Roscommon and uh, you've got Mayo against Kildare they're the two football games at Croker so these two games are going to happen 2 o'clock on Saturday so Antrim against Cork has been fixed for Corrigan Park and Austinstack Park and Tralee will host Kerry against Wexford so both those games at 2pm this coming Saturday Murph do you see any potential for a shock in either? Um, well look Cork going to Corrigan Park is not simple we've seen it like, and, and even just to factor in just you know having to make that journey up to there and, and the potential you know for just players being a little bit lacklustre starting off the match Corrigan Park has been a tough place to go so I think if there is to be an upset that could potentially be the one um, and look I suppose we f- just factor in that again it's a potential banana skin for teams if they take their eye off the ball. I think Wexford have done it already. Not not that not to take away from Westmead's performance, but certainly Wexford didn't go to the pitch of the game against Westmead, which allowed Westmead to to get the draw there. Um, I I think they got their warning though, and I think they'll go down, especially after seeing the game at the weekend, seeing that Kerry given a bit of space, given a bit of time. 
they have the scores there and they have the potential to hurt you and Wexford won't want to do that like Wexford are, have now I suppose got themselves back into the championship where there was a fear that they were going to be out of it they're now going to say right win this game now and, and move on and that's what they'll want to do so I think they'll any, anything that like Darry Egan will be looking at it saying whatever the preparation was coming into the Westmead game if there was any sort of complacency there within players we need to take that out because look at there's nothing to say here and I think it's going to be a good gauge again for that argument that we keep talking about about Kerry coming into Munster if they put in a good performance against Wexford well then you're going well look they're not 20-30 points behind Wexford now if they take a bit of a beating again I suppose people will say they shouldn't be coming into it but I think the, the, if there is to be a banana skin here and a bit of a slip-up, I think Cork won't find it simple up in Corrigan Park. Um, Antrim won't make it easy for him. And, and Antrim have nothing to lose here. Like They won't be expected to win this match. And we've seen him beat Wexford and Clare up there last year. So, look, it's they, I think Antrim will have a savage crack at them. They'll see what happens. And, again, it all comes down to if they're in if last 15 or 10 minutes, if they're still within a chance in the game, you don't know what could happen. But... Like James was saying, I'm not giving it a huge chance of happening, not to be bad on Antrim or Kerry, but I just think teams now, like Cork and Wexford, have got their warning this year, and I think they kind of have their bullseye now in the quarterfinals. So I'm expecting, you know, Cork and Wexford to come out of this now with, uh, with, with two wins. And just another couple bits of news coming out of the weekend. Uh, Claire beat Leash in the last of the round robin games in the quarterfinals of the All Ireland Minor Championship. So 21 points to one goal in 12, uh, which means we've now got the lineup complete for the last four. Uh, so Scale involved with the Galway Miners this year. They'll take on the Munster Champions Tipperary on Saturday week, while it'll be Claire against Offaly in those semi finals. They're still to be fixed. And the other piece of news, Scale, Liam Cal on Show Sport, which is back on TG Car on a Friday night, uh, confirming his full intention is to be the Waterford manager next season so he said he was going to take a little bit of time it's been a few weeks since they went out of the championship but it seems that he's still going to be in charge of the Dacia next year unlikely their county board are going to make a decision that's not him bringing them back into training in December yeah and like but again if it's, it's like if you replace Liam Cahill who do you replace him with to be honest you know so like he's it's, his stock hasn't decreased that much because Waterford him to the championship like there's obviously reasons that him to the championship he's probably the best in the best position to analyse those reasons and try fix them, try rectify them. You know, they were the they were the hot team. They were the player of the of the of the current, you know, only a few weeks back. So we were talking about on the podcast how they were going to challenge Limerick and potentially deep throwing Limerick they were going so well. It just didn't work out that way. So there's reasons behind that. So I think he's he's best equipped and in the best position to do so. And that that's the best thing for for Waterford too. He showed faith in them last year by you know, committing to the Waterford job and not jumping over to Tipperary. So I think the I think that should be reciprocated by Waterford now. Yeah, don't listen back to those old pods, folks. We were talking about Claire all the way. We've been on the Claire bandwagon since episode one. There was no talk about water. We're driving the bus. We're driving the bandwagon. <laughs> we're driving now, yeah. From front seat, we were kind of we were rotating drivers on that bandwagon along the way. And uh, we were 100% behind that. We never mentioned Waterford. We had doubts about Waterford throughout the league, even after the league final. There's no way we said things like, this Waterford team might have the best panel in the country and Limerick could be in trouble later in the summer if Waterford get a good steam behind them. Never said that. Never happened. Lads, that is episode 16 we'll be back next week for uh, episode 17 and we'll look forward to the All-Ireland quarterfinals it's all coming around very quickly now thanks a million for joining us on the Hurling Pod